You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Well, tonight I want to minister to you with a microphone here. I hope you can follow me. Praise the Lord. Little technical problems, but how many know Jesus is still Lord? Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Tonight I'm going to be ministering to you on what I call unbeatable faith. And really, basically, the whole message is about keep believing. Don't give up when the doubt and the fear hits you. Don't give up when it seems like it can't change. Don't give up when people tell you, well, you're wasting your time. Keep believing. Now, here's something that I've learned. Can we adjust this somewhat? Take it down a little bit. Thank you, Lord. One of the things that I've learned a little bit lower is that desire is not enough to get you a breakthrough. If that was to think about all the people that desire to be skinny or lose some pounds, whether it's a man or a woman, amen, a lot of people want to lose some weight. But yet desire is not enough. You have to believe that you can lose the weight to get the breakthrough that you desire. And the same thing is true when it comes to God's word and what he promises. You have to have a strong desire for it, but you have to believe that God can do it in your life. God can do what seems to be relatively impossible. And I'm going to show you in the scriptures that you have all the right in the world to believe for that. You have all the right in the world to believe that you're going to be blessed out of your socks from scripture. So I want you, if you would, if you've got your Bible, look up on the screen. Oh, uh, it's Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to notice carefully how it's written. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter the rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to write down a few verses for me. I want you to write this down. Write down, if you would, in your notes or whatever you're taking there, uh, Numbers 14:20 and Joshua 21 verse 44. And I'm going to show you I love this text because we're talking about people who are believers. But just because you're a believer, just because you're forgiven of your sins doesn't mean you're going to receive the fullness of your salvation if your faith wavers and gives way. The first verse I gave you out of Numbers describes Moses. Now, this is that first generation that wasn't able to go into the promised land because they wouldn't mix their faith with the promise. It says that Moses interceded for them. And God said, you know, they've tempted me 10 times, but since you ask me, I will go ahead and pardon them. But then he said, I will not let them go in and possess the promised land because of their unbelief. So here's people who are forgiven, but yet they're not experiencing the fullness of their salvation that God has promised. Now here, God tells us then that our goal as a believer isn't just to get to heaven, but it's to enter God's rest. 
And rest doesn't mean that God was tired and needed a rest. It means something different. In fact, let me read to you what Joshua 21, 44 says after they possessed the promised land. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all the enemies into their hands. In other words, when it talks about entering his rest, it's talking about entering to a realm where everything that's been trying to steal, kill, and destroy in your life has been defeated by the power of God. Whether it's a struggle in having a good marriage, whether it's a struggle in getting out of debt, whether it's a struggle in getting your children to follow God with all their heart, all when you enter God's rest, the enemy is defeated by the power of God. That's why it takes faith. If you don't use your faith, God has nothing to work with. He has no way to move upon your children, move upon your, 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 your finances, move upon your body. He has to have someone who will mix their faith in the promises of God. You know, there's a lot of people going to heaven, but there's not that many people that have heaven on earth. And I want you to see as a Christian, we are called more than just getting saved. We're called to save those around us. We're called to save the situations that we're in. We're called to experience the salvation and power of God in our families, in our homes, in our hospitals, in our sciences, in our school systems. We are called to do that, that God's power can reign in those areas so that when you die, you'll have a testimony and testimony and testimony of what God did in your life and through your life and how he delivered you. And people say, man, that man or that woman served a mighty God in Christ Jesus. Come on, give God praise. Praise everybody. That's what the idea of rest is. And when you read in Hebrews and you continue on in that text, he begins to talk about in creation where God rested from the work that he did. And it says, he says, and that rest was not completely accomplished with Joshua. It wasn't completely accomplished with David, which tells us that it is still available for us today, that God still wants to deliver us today. Say amen. amen. And so maybe you're struggling with this or that in your life, and you're wondering, maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be in life. No, I want you to keep believing. I want you to keep believing that God has provided for you a rest and a future and a blessing in your life that will make your joy full. Uh, come on. Uh, uh, make your life blessed beyond measure in your life. It doesn't mean life is going to be easy, but it does mean that with God we can prevail over every mountain that we have to face every valley that we have to go through, God will in fact help us if we quit believing in faith. Amen. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm so glad this is for you tonight. He must have got a letter that I, I wrote to him about you not believing. It's rest. Now, let me define to you even more what the rest is. It's not a rest like God created creation Six days, and he goes, whew, I'm going to take a break now. It's not that kind of rest where you work all day and you get tired and you want to rest. God never tires, the scripture says. He never gets weary, the scriptures say. So that's not what it means. But it does mean this. When God finished creation, it was complete. Say complete. 
rest implies that there is a completion or a finishing off of what God started. Did you know that God has never created a fish, created a bird, created an animal outside of the beginning when he created creation? The Bible said that God put the seed in everything that he made. He made the first tree that was seeded to make another tree. In other words, when he said it was finished, all the seed needed to recreate and recreate and recreate in people, in life, was in creation. So when he entered his rest, he said everything that they need to be fruitful is given to them. Everything they need to replenish the earth has already been given to them. Everything they need to prevail on life has already been given to them because I provided everything in creation. Now we know that you are new creations. Amen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Peter said that all things that pertain to life and godliness have already been given to you. Jesus said it was finished on the cross. Everything to give you success financially has already been provided. Everything to get you healed physically has already been provided. Everything to restore your marriage has already been provided. Everything to do that vision has already been provided. Everything that you my need is already here in creation since God went to the cross for us. Amen. So when you talk about entering his rest, you're talking about entering into, I'll get theological here, the finished work of Christ. Jesus finished off sin. Jesus finished off the curse of the law. Jesus finished it off, and all these enemies that come against us, sickness, poverty, lack, disharmony in family, calamity, all those things are our enemy, and when you exercise faith in God's promises, he starts putting those things to shame. He starts giving you victory over those things that everybody else is just living with. Can you say amen? Remember this that God is not a God that fails. He never created a failure. He never created someone that wouldn't amount to something. He never deals with a losing mindset. He is a winner. From the very beginning, he planned your success. From the very beginning, he planned for you to overcome. And it is available to you in Christ. As soon as we believe in faith, as soon as we believe what God has for us, something special is going to happen to you. You know, in the church today, there's a lot of people that are forgiven and going to heaven, but they've fallen away in church. And you know why they've fallen away? Because they tried to believe for what God's word says in certain areas and because they thought they could move God by works, their faith failed. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I wasn't saved because I got my act together and said I'm going to go to church and be a Christian. I got saved because when I believe, when God moved on my life, revealed Jesus to me as the Lord and Savior of my life, I responded to it. And as I responded to it, I was born again. My confession was made unto salvation. Amen? That doesn't change. 
but religion tries to change it. Religion says the way you move God is through your works. If you're good enough, if you add this and this and this and this and this, God will bless you. God always blesses the same way, faith first. It may create a work in your life, but it's a work of faith. It's not just a work. God never grants a healing because we earned it or that we deserved it or we're the most spiritual person in the church. He never grants healing because of that. He does it because of one thing, faith. Just because of faith, he does it. You know, look in the Bible. Think about all the people that Jesus healed. He didn't heal them because they had it together. He healed them because they had faith. The 10 lepers came to Jesus, and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. First, they had to believe they had something that they didn't possess. You know, the last thing in the world you would do is go show yourself to the priest if you had full-blown leprosy. You were only to go there if you had been healed. And Jesus told them when they were sick, go show yourself to the priest. You remember the story in John's gospel, the man that was born blind? And Jesus makes a little mud pie and puts it in his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Shalom. The pool of Shalom was a spring that they used during the Feast of Tabernacle that was called the Waters of Salvation. And what Jesus basically telling this guy is, I want you to go and I want you to wash in the waters of salvation. And he believed Jesus. And as he went all the way there and washed, his, he began to see when he'd never seen before. My question to you is this. Are you trying to earn the blessing of God or are you trying to believe for it? Are you trying to be good enough, add to your list all the things that you do that are good, and then go out and say, hey, God, listen, I'm better than the pastor. I've seen how he eats. Or I've seen how he drives. Or have you decided the only way I can receive from God what I need is through my faith? I got to believe what he says. I got to hold to what he says. And in doing so, I enter that rest. And God begins to push back the things in my life that are trying to oppress me. Say amen. Now watch this verse, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, please. 24, listen to what it says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. I don't like this part. Look at it. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, if you're going to believe God, believe you're going to win. If you're going to believe God, believe you're going to get healed. If you're going to believe God, believe that you're going to prosper supernaturally by his power. If you're going to believe God, believe that it's going to manifest in this life. Don't just go through Christianity. Believe you're going to win at it. I'm going to win at all my kids getting saved. I'm going to win at uh, getting out of debt. I'm going to win at it. That's what Paul's telling us. So many Christians don't do that. They go through life and just expect what goes on. In fact, in a lot of generations, maybe I'm locating myself somewhat, but in the generation before me, there was a lot of people in the church that didn't believe the gifts of the Spirit were any longer in manifestation in the churches. They believed they had passed away. They were for the apostles. Well, the truth of the matter is the gifts of the Spirit are still in manifestation. 
But I want you to always remember this about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit operate as the Spirit wills. In other words, God decides what gifts to use to give you your miracle. But faith drives those gifts. In other words, one person, God may use a prophecy to get that individual delivered. Another person, there may be a manifestation of a word of the Lord or a word of wisdom. But it's all prompted by your faith. People go, why aren't the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church? Because people don't believe. If you believe the gifts of the Spirit will always be in operation in a church. Is God's not saying they just happens one time and not at the time? No, he chooses a how it's going to work, but you're the one that determines if they're going to work by whether or not you believe. Let me explain this to you from this standpoint. In the scriptures, one of the things that I've loved are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I love prophecy. I love the prophetic ministry as well. I'm going to probably speak some things prophetic tonight. But, but one of the things I've learned is that the prophet's ministry in the New Testament is different than the prophet's ministry in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to prophets and kings and priests, but laity never had it. So if you wanted direction from the Holy Spirit, you had to go to a prophet to get it. Remember when Saul had, his father had lost one of the donkeys? And he said, go to Samuel the prophet and ask him where it is. Why? Because he was the one that had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit could lead him and guide him to the place of that lost donkey. That, the Old Testament was different. If you need to lead it on the Lord, you go to a prophet, they would tell you what to do. In the New Testament, the prophet's ministry is not to lead you. It can confirm what you're being led in, but it's not designed to lead you. When someone starts telling you, I think you should marry that person, the Lord told me to tell you to marry that person, just laugh at them and walk away and say, you marry him. Because it's not the Holy Ghost. It's not the Holy Ghost. Let me give you an example of how, how the prophetic ministry works. It was uh, years and years ago when I started out in ministry. I was taking correspondence course through Assemblies of God in Missouri. And I was also studying, so I was doing a lot of studying. And I would study till midnight every night, it seemed like, all during the week. But I went to all the church services that were open. In those days, you had Wednesday, you had Sunday morning, you had Sunday night. In those days, messages were always an hour long. Services were always three hours long. That's just the way it was. And so I'm struggling trying to get my homework done. And I asked this question. I said, Lord, I wonder if it'd be all right if I start missing on Wednesday night so that I can finish this correspondence course. And as soon as I said it, I sensed in my heart that was not the will of God. I had a little uneasiness inside of my spirit when I said it. And so I went to church that night. And I was at church that night, and uh, a traveling minister had visited our church, and he was a prophet. And the pastor introduced me to me. He says, you know, the Lord just gave me a word for you. He says, 
The Lord wanted you to know that if the sheep leave the fold, the wolf will kill them. And right then, I knew in my heart that God was leading me not to miss that service. All he did is confirm it. Amen. John says you don't need a teacher to teach you. He says you have the anointing that knows all things. In other words, all I'm doing is preaching, and the Holy Spirit is confirming what he's already been dealing with you in your heart. Say amen, everybody. That, that's the difference, and there's great victory in this. Because if you follow the leading of the Lord, it'll make you rich. If you follow the leading of the Lord, it'll give you a better life. If you follow the leading of the Lord, you will end up with peace that passes all understanding. If you follow the leading of the Lord, it will lead to a life of victory that is sweet and great. And when I use the term rich, I simply mean more than enough. It doesn't mean you got to be a multi-multi-millionaire or be a billionaire. It just means that you have more than enough in your life. And God will do that for every believer here. Hallelujah. Be led by the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it is that rest that God wants us to enter into and be blessed, highly favored, and blessed of God. I want to read to you a verse in Psalms 27, verse 11 and 13. Look at this. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. Smooth path is prosperity. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversary, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such breathe out violence. Now watch this next part. I would have lost heart, say lost heart, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know what it means to lose heart? It means you give up. That's what it means. It means you give up on a better life. You give up on believing God. You give up on God rescuing you. You give up on it and just kind of settle in to whatever it is. That's what it means to lose heart. And here's what David says. He's a man after God's own heart. He said, if I had stopped believing that I would see the manifestation of God's power in my life, if I had stopped doing that, I would have given up on my life. I would have given up on the, the calling in my life. I would have given up what God called me to. And I just feel like sometimes people in the church, they've just given up. They've been through this and they've been through that. They've been through this problem and that problem, and they just kind of given up. you got to keep believing that in this life, things are going to change. In this life, you're going to feel better. In this life, things are going to be restored. In this life, you're going to get that dream. In this life, you're going to get that vision. In this life, you're going to get that obedience. In this life, you're going to have God minister in a powerful way, not in the life to come, but in this life. And if you get it in this life, in the life to come, you get an eternal reward for it, but all the eternal rewards that you get are a manifestation of what you get right here. They're just an eternal manifestation of it. Whew, wow. That's what he wants to do for every one of us, but we got to keep believing. We got, we got to keep believing that. We're going to see it on our paycheck. We're going to feel it in our bodies. We're going to see it with a reconciliation with people that are mad at us. We're going to see it with the children that are, that are submissive to you. We're going to see it, not just the life to come, but here. 
Man, I'll tell you what, if you do that, you're going to be so fired up. You're going to get up early and stay up late, proclaiming the promises of God and running after God with all your heart. And you're going to be looking and expecting it to happen every day, every moment in your life. God's going to do something. Praise God. If anyone's going to get through the traffic today, it's going to be me. If anyone's going to get a sale today, it's going to be me. If anyone's going to get an opportunity today, it's going to be me. Praise God. And I tell you, when you do that, it really causes the joy of the Lord to well up in you. You know, I don't know if you understand this, but one of the main things that I do in my prayer time is pray. I mean, I study all the time, but I pray, 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 pray. You know why? Because prayer is the, is the foundation for anything good in your life that lasts. Prayers are not being answered. Your joy cannot be full. Jesus said, ask whatever you want in my name, and I will give it to you so that your joy might be made full. It can't be full if you don't get healed. It can't be full if you lose your home. It can't be full if they come and take away your car. It can't be full if they come and repossess your TV. It can't be full, but it can be full when, when you write a check out for your house and it's completely paid off. It can be full when your kids come back and they come to church and get saved and said, Jesus is my Lord right now. We're going to serve God with all my heart. That's when it can be... Oh, hallelujah. It can be full of joy when the, when the lame can run again and when the blind can see again and when the depressed can rejoice again and when all that addiction is broken again in your life and that's when you can rejoice. That's when the joy is unspeakable. That's when it goes through the city like fire. That's when people start saying, what is that going on at the church? These people are seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. Hallelujah. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's what stirs up my, my thing. But think about all the people that say this, well, I won't get it in this life, but I'll get it in the life to come. And bless their darling hearts. At least they're believing in something, but they'll give up. They'll lose heart. Amen. I believe in the, in the resurrection. I believe in the millennium reign of Christ. I, I believe in the blessings of the life to come. But if I stopped believing, I'd see God stop moving here. I'd give up. I'd give up. I'd cash out. I'd give up. I'd lift the life of rally. I'd sit back and let everybody do whatever they want. But praise God, that's not me because I can see the salvation of the Lord. And I got my faith on that, that God will do what he said he would do over and over again. Can you say amen? amen. Turn to a few people and say, I'm so glad I came to church tonight. Don't you dare stop believing that you'll see it. Don't you dare stop believing that, you'll, that your kids will get saved. Don't you dare stop believing that you'll get out of debt. Don't you dare stop believing that you're going to leave an inheritance to your children's children. Don't you dare stop believing that you're going to rise up above the problem. Don't you dare do that because God really frowns on it. It really bumps him out. And you know why people do it? It's because they actually stop believing. 
that they can do what God said they can do. Two, two verses in particular I love. The first one is found when Peter was walking on the water. Remember he began to sink and Jesus grabbed him, said, why did you doubt you, you little faith? Why would Jesus say that in the first place? Because Peter probably believed at that point when he was doubting that he couldn't believe. And Jesus grabbed him and says, hold up, hold the boat here, man. Why did you doubt? Implying that you didn't have to. And we always talk about Peter sinking on the water, but Peter walked back to the boat. He didn't sink. Jesus didn't pick him up in his arms and carry him back to the boat. He started to believe again. I can just see, I don't know how it'd be, but just kind of rise up on top of the water. You can believe even when you think you can't. You can believe. I tell you, when you think about that, all the times that people say, I try to believe, but I can't, they're lying. Now, bless their heart, they don't know any better, but they're lying. They can. If you have faith, you can believe again. If you have faith, and it didn't run out the door, it's not gone, it's still in you. It's just that you were focusing on the problem more than the solution. If you focused on the solution, that, that faith would get awakened within you, and you would be able to believe again, once again, for it. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, hey, why did you doubt? You walked in the water before. You got healed before. You saw my power move before. So why did you doubt? I love the man that came to Jesus and he said, Lord, if you can help me with my son, he's demon possessed. Please help us. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor little thing. He didn't pastor the guy. Instead, he said this, if you can believe, all things are possible. He knew the man could believe. God never asks us to do something we don't have the ability to do. He never asks us to believe if we don't have the faith to believe. And the man cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And it was just enough to give God the power to deliver his son. Hallelujah. So don't give up, don't give up. Now, I want you to write this down, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Notice how it's worded, has blessed us. Not going to, has. If you're a believer, God has already blessed you, not with a few. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every means every. It doesn't mean the majority of them. It doesn't mean 99% of them. It means all of them. God gave us that blessing already. Here's the challenge. You have to take ownership of that blessing if you want God to work the manifestation of it in your life. You ever go down and buy a car and you paid cash for it? What do they do? They bring out a title doesn't have anybody's name on it yet. It's your title. The car has been paid for, but it's not in your name yet until you sign. God has a huge pile of titles for all of us. We have to take possession of what he's already given to us and sign on the dotted line. That's my healing. 
sign on the dotted line. How do you sign? By what you say. What you say is how you sign. If you say it, you sign for it. Hallelujah. And that's how you get God to cause those spiritual blessings that you can live and die with. Have the music in your heart, but never have write a song if you don't take ownership of it in your life. Hallelujah. One of the things I love is to learn something in the Bible that I can take ownership of and begin to, cl to, begin to claim it, begin to receive it. We got to be a church that will continually receive from the fullness of Christ. Say fullness. Look at this verse, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, please. Colossians 2. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, look at what it says, complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. I'm going to make a very startling statement to you right now. Did you know that when you got born again, when you believed on Christ, your human spirit was made perfect? Because you have the righteousness of God, you have the mind of Christ, and the fullness of God is in you. You are perfect in your spirit. The soul is our problem. That's why the Bible says a born-again person does not habitually sin. Why? Because his heart can't let him do it. In Christ, he can't do that. But in his head, he can still sin. In his body, he can still sin. That's why this, this redemption is so powerful. I need to work out the completion of God inside of me. I need to work it out in my family, work it out in my church, work it out in my career, work it out in every aspect. I got to work out what is inside of me. It's that completion. I need to cash in on the fullness of God in my life, not just a little bit, the fullness of it in my life. Now, you know, a lot of us, you're probably not aware of this, but there's a lot of false teaching in the church that is from the failures of people's faith. To give you a case in point, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about marriage, and there were two views of marriage back in that day. One view was this, that if you found any kind of indecency in your wife, you could write her a certificate of divorce you find that in uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, I believe it is. Let me double check with that. Yeah, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And they interpreted that, and it became an excuse. You burnt my bacon. You're a lousy cook. You're not that good looking. I didn't really know what you looked like because you were veiled before I married you. And so people were using that as an excuse to divorce their wives because their faith was failing. Now, the other solution was if they committed adultery, you could divorce them. Well, that, that only made sense because of this one reason. If a woman was unfaithful to a husband, they would stone the woman. She'd die anyway. You don't need a divorce. She's dead. Say amen. I'm only saying this because all the doctrine in the church that is full of unbelief 
comes from people's failure in their faith. It comes from it. They want to justify their failure, so they create a doctrine from Scripture, twist Scripture here and there to make it say what they wanted to say so that they feel fairly comfortable about the failure that they experienced in their life. Years ago, there was a teaching in the church. It was called Limited Atonement. And it went like this, that the only people that get saved are the ones that God has chosen from the foundation of the world and everyone else can't get saved. So there's just a select few of people in the world that Jesus died for on that cross. It was really popular for, for many, many years. It's not popular anymore because uh, our culture has changed in John 3.16. It's so clear that God so loved the world, not just a select few of people. Amen? And the scripture tells us that God is not, uh, it's not God's will that any should perish. Well, if he didn't provide salvation for him, then it must have been his will. So that's been kind of swept under the rug. But here's what has transformed into. God is limited in his blessings to some and others he's not. In other words, it's God's will to forgive all of our sins, but some of your sicknesses he may not want to heal. Or it's God's will that you would, that you would get by in life, but it's really not God's will that you be delivered from every financial problem that comes against you, even though the Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is poverty. And they start saying, well, some get blessed a little bit more than others because they were just chosen for it. The, the good news is God's no respecter of persons, and God, if he forgives all of our sins, he heals all of our diseases. And if he heals all of our diseases, he heals all of our calamities, he heals all of our oppression, heals all of demonic. In other words, there's no, no, no variation there. But a lot of people don't believe that. They say, well, I prayed. It must not have been God's will. And they pray like that. No, you pray and you believe what God's word says. Sure, sin in your life can stop the blessing. Other things can block, uh, block the blessing. But it's, it's God's will to deliver every person that calls upon the name, name of the Lord. It's his will. There may be some things holding it back, but it's always his will. Hallelujah. It's always his will to save somebody. That doesn't change. Oh, that guy's been in church. He turned away from God. I understand you can get in a place where you can't be renewed again, but the reality is God initially wanted every person to be saved, even the terror, even the apostate, even the person who turned away from God, and you can't renew them again. God still wanted them in the beginning to be saved. He wanted them to be blessed out of their socks. He wanted to be their, their, their best friend. He wanted to be their rear guard. He wanted to help them. It's all always God's will and I think sometimes we miss that so let me close with this how many tonight would say to me pastor I'm really taking this serious my life is not going where it's supposed to go and I really want to believe that God can turn this sour thing into a blessing so I'm going to dare to believe I'm going to see it in this life I'm going to dare to believe it now my question is are you willing to take the risk let me give you a story Charles Blondin 
a French tightrope walker. This is June 30th, 1859. He put a rope across Niagara Falls that was a quarter mile in distance, 160 feet above the falls. Now, I've been to Niagara Falls. It is one dangerous river. And he wanted to prove to the people that he mastered tightroping. Here's what he did. And he would ask him, he says, do you believe that I can go across this rope on stilts? And everybody goes, yeah, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So he went across and he crossed over on stilts. Then he said, do you believe I can go across it on a bike? They said, we believe you can go on a bike. He gets the bike and goes across it. He said, well, do you believe I can go across it in the dark? So he did it in the dark. And then the one that was really challenging, he says, do you believe that I can go across it blindfolded, not being able to see? We believe, we believe, we believe. So he'd go across and back. And then he, he challenged the people again. He said, listen, how many believe I can take this wheelbarrow and put this big sack of potatoes in this wheelbarrow and wheel it across the other side? We believe, we believe, we believe. So he takes his wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes, goes all the way across, and then goes all the way back. And he says, how many believe that I can put a person in this wheelbarrow and do it. We believe, we believe, we believe. And he says, who wants to volunteer? And nobody did. Why? Because it's easy to say you believe until you put yourself at risk. Until you put it on the line. I remember the first time I tithed, it was like, you know, the verse says, work our salvation with fear and trembling. That's the way it was. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't have any money. We were broke. And it was a, it was a but it was, a, you, know, a, you know, if I blow it on this, man, I'm in trouble. That's what faith takes sometimes. Where it doesn't look like it's going to work, and you're willing to, to do the work in spite of what it looks like. And say, Lord, whether I sink, swim, or drown, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to back away. I'm going to believe you and not retreat in any way, shape, or form. Can you say amen, everybody? Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.